Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody. This is Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. This week's episode features Tanya Zuckerbrot. She's the founder and CEO of F Factor, which is all about fiber, 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 fiber. And she'll tell you why fiber is fun. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Laura Schubert. She is the CEO and co-founder of Fur. Happy listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited to be sitting across from Tanya Zuckerbrot. She is the founder and CEO of F Factor. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to sit with you. I'm so inspired by you. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> and So sweet. Um, we had to push the recording off, so I appreciate your flexibility. Of course. And um, when I did my intake call with you, it was a week before a big event that you were hosting. It Which was one? your, like, F-Factor conference. Oh, it was before the summit. The summit. Oh, mm-hmm. so we haven't spoken in a while. Mm-hmm. Yes. And as it turns out, your husband works for the company. Their name is Eventage that um, put on the summit, um, and they were amazing. So I want to hear all about that, but I want to start with one of my favorite questions because sure. I love getting into the minutia. Um, how will you be spending your day today? Um, so today is Wednesday. <laughs> today <blood>. is Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> okay. So I typically see clients Monday, Tuesday, and Thursdays, which is why um, I'm a little confused with the dates because I typically hold media such as podcasts for Wednesdays and Fridays. Um, and then I have a birthday luncheon today for a friend. So I tend not to have such uh, sort of days filled with media and personal stuff um, on a Tuesday, which is why I had no idea what today was. So that's in full transparency what I'm doing. Um, I'm here with you, which I'm very excited. And then I have a birthday luncheon um, this afternoon. And then in after that, I will be filming. So this is more of a Wednesday day for me. <laughs> Monday, awesome. Tuesdays, and Thursdays, I see clients. Um, oh, last but not least, I'm hosting my parents for dinner. <laughs> and I give it to the rents, right? So um, how long have you been having like these scheduled sort of organized approaches to your calendar for the work week? It really is a byproduct of my role changing. I started off as a technician, meaning my skill was to help people to lose weight. It's no different than a hairdresser. So I was only making money if I was sitting at my desk seeing clients. And therefore, I used to see clients five days a week. And that was my job. Um, And then social media happened, but I would start to sort of layer that on top of seeing clients. So my workday started way before nine as I was filming filming my F-Factor approved breakfast and it would end at 10 o'clock at night I was, after I was done filming, you know, my F-Factor-approved dinner. So my day started to become longer and my role started to enlarge from just being a registered dietitian to um, becoming more of an Instagram blogger. And then um, the role of CEO really started to expand as we launched products two years ago. And next thing I knew, I hired a chief operating officer. I hired a director of marketing, director of communications. And once we went into CPG, also known as consumer packaged goods, F-Factor really had two different parts of the company. We had a private practice where we would see clients and treat clients for clinical conditions, for weight management. And then we had this other side of the company that was really was about products. And therefore, we had to work on marketing campaigns and messaging. So in order to be present, I had to define specific days for clients 
because this way the office would know how to schedule me and my availability. But I knew I had to designate time to be with my executive team, um, as well as find time to work with the social media team because I do a lot of um, uh, IGTVs and cooking of. Uh, uh, videos and things of that nature. So it's pretty highly scheduled in order to get everything in. So I um, I started my business 13 years ago and I had no schedule. Like I just thought I'm starting my business to have the most flexibility in my life, right? Not to have a boss looking over me or telling me that should be my seat. So I just like kept it super loose. And I would say it was like 10 years of chaos yep. because I didn't have a schedule. And it was really, I mean, it might only have been like a year ago that I'm like, oh, this isn't working. This doesn't feel good. I don't know what days I can make time for the gym. I don't know what days I can make time to, you know, be in the city or, li- or late in the city. So I did what you did, which is um, like schedule. I have my city days and my team knows what my city days are and my family knows what my city days are. And I'm able to then schedule like the kids' doctor appointments on other days or a haircut for myself on the other days and know what day I'm going to the gym. And it's just, and now I really have freedom. Yeah. And I think it actually allows you to be a lot more productive. Um, And certainly when you're juggling family obligations and work, if you know that you can make doctor's appointments on Wednesdays because that's the day you don't come to the city, all of a sudden, like, it's, as you recognize, a lot less chaotic. I was actually reading the New York Post this morning. There was... um, uh, article feature about exercise and how to get started. And one of the bits of advice in the article was you need to schedule it the way that you would appointment that you would never cancel, even if it's 15 minutes. But I do believe um, in schedules. I think for me, it's so important. Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, clients, Wednesday, Friday, CEO. Um, and in the afternoons, we also now, my role really started to shift where I used to be 100% clients and now it's probably... 20% clients and 80% CEO and media because I'm I'm the founder. So no one can speak about F-Factor with more authenticity or credibility than me, not just because I founded it, but because I live it. And I think that's why the brand has grown so much over the past few years because of social media. Um, it has allowed me to really talk openly frequently with our customer base, answer questions, engage with them, educate them, and hopefully inspire them to live their best lives. Right. Well, you're not not seeing clients. You're just seeing them in a different way, or they're seeing you in a different way, well, right? I wouldn't consider the people on social media to be my clients. I mean, the clients, is it's a very uh, involved relationship. It's clinical in nature. They come in for, you know, we do their body composition. It's a lot of life coaching. So I would say that I'm, oh, I will always see clients because for me, um, it's why I got into the business. And I didn't go into the business to do products. And I never want to lose sight of the human interest part of my journey as a CEO. I've always been invested in helping people to be their best selves. And if I just sit at a desk working on marketing initiatives for products, I'm going to lose that. And something else that has really served me was always keeping my foot in private practice I was able to get really authentic feedback from my customers because my clients are also users of the product. And having those personal relationships with the clients because they become really intimate, they're able to really speak to me honestly and say, I like this or I don't like this. Their feedback really has been essential in helping me to provide the best quality products or communication because um, I feel fortunate that they're almost like my own focus group. Right. It's incredible. Um, So I want to talk about F, what F stands for. You told me it was fun, family, free time, fiber. (laughs) Fiber was last (laughs) on the list. (laughs) We leave it last because it's like fiber, wah-wah. It's like people think of prunes or Metamucil. Um, Luckily, though, um, 
I feel that fiber has gotten a little bit of a makeover. I, I used to joke, I'm like, fiber needs a publicist, man, because it's the coolest thing ever. And it has such like a dowdy reputation. Um, fiber's come a long way, though. And I think people are really beginning to understand and appreciate that fiber is all natural, has zero calories, zero grams of carbs, and has the most amazing abilities to help people to lose weight without hunger and to improve your health. Fiber swells in your stomach. You feel full for hours despite the fact it has no calories. Fiber can absorb fat and calories in other foods and usher them out of the body, leading to lower caloric absorption, which speeds up weight loss. And fiber revs up metabolism. So like, just pause for a minute. You are actually going to ingest something with zero calories, but it can rev up your metabolism. I mean, it's it, it almost sounds like an infomercial. It's like too good to be true. But fiber has what we call a thermogenic effect. Your body tries to digest fiber, but it can't. And in the process of trying to break it down, you're burning calories. Your body expends calories digesting food. And that's what we call like a negative net thermic effect. So the more fiber you're eating, the faster your metabolism. There are published journal studies that support this, but I also have um, clinical anecdotal evidence in private practice because our clients lose weight every single week and we measure their metabolism every week. It's part of you know the clinical private practice. So we know with certainty that as our clients are losing weight, they're actually revving their metabolism up, which is actually the opposite of what happens in the weight loss space. Typically, the leaner you get um, or the more weight you lose, your metabolism starts to slow down. Um, and that's why so many people end up plateauing. And that's why most people gain the weight back after time because they've damaged their metabolisms. And on F factor, the fiber is revving up your metabolism so you can lose weight effectively the entire time. But more importantly, you can keep the weight off without struggle. So is it possible that you are the publicist of fiber? For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I've presented taken a very cool on. case. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, something important for your listeners to know is that I don't own fiber. It's not my intellectual property. So when I'm speaking on behalf of them, they're not my clients in the sense of like, it's about, I see myself as an educator more than anything, probably educator, life coach at this point, even more than like a dietitian, um, because through education, that's where reform happens. And I want to empower people with knowledge so they can make educated decisions that honor their intentions to look and feel their best. The wellness space is so oversaturated with influencers. And it's a good thing in the sense of I'm glad so many people like are into health. My concern is many influencers are not accredited. They don't have degrees. They're just passionate. And it's not to say that some of the information or all the information that they're giving is accurate, but sometimes some of the information is not really based on science. It's just based on their own experiences. Not that their, their inexperiences are wrong, but when you deal with people's health, I'm really hoping that the information is credible and based on published journal studies. And for anyone who knows me, and if you don't know me, hi, <laughs> now you do, um, I really take my role as a nutritionist in the public space very seriously. I have 20 years of media experience where I was a contributor to Fox News. I would be on the Today Show. So I learned early in my career, working with producers, you have to cite your sources. You cannot say anything without being able to substantiate it with published journal studies in the space of wellness. I mean, liability insurance was made just for that reason because people say things and people would do it and then they'd get hurt or it would negatively impact their health. So that's one thing I take so much pride in is I may deliver my messages in layman's terms so it's easy for people to understand, but if any of your listeners or any of my followers would say, Tanya, does fiber really rev up metabolism? I'm like, sure. Do you, would you like to see the study? I'm always happy to support anything I say with literature. And I think that's why people really trust me and they see me as an authority in the weight loss space or in the wellness space because it's like, this girl 
speaks the science. She supports everything she says with science. And of course, I also color it with my own anecdotal evidence because I live this way. So I can make it really fun and easy to see. But at the end of the day, when you are talking about people's health, um, there's a certain responsibility to make sure that you are delivering information that is scientifically founded. So let's um, talk about how you went down this path. Um, The question would be, why nutrition? How did you end up there? Um, Accidentally. (laughs) So much of my career um, were just happy accidents. Um, I always loved to cook. Um, Growing up, I was always cooking. My mother had a ton of cookbooks. I grew up in a family of good cooks. No one was a professional cook, but um, my mom was a great cook. My grandma was a great cook. And I guess there's just something about being in the kitchen with family that's just really sort of nurturing and just, I don't know, some of my best childhood memories, but I really loved it. And I guess I was somewhat of a good natural cook. Um, And I went off to college and I gained the freshman 15, which is not unusual. Um, And then I came home that summer and my mom you know, being my mom was like, pointed it out to me. <laughs> and she says, you know, what are you going to do about that? And she says, you know, I think what you should do is um, cook healthfully this summer because my mom's Colombian. So we never grew up with the word diet in my house. There's no Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig. We just, we just grew up eating like home cooked meals. And, you know, I was an active kid. I was a cheerleader on the team. So like we just never dieted in the house. So even my mom's solution to helping me to get back to my my natural body weight was to cook healthfully because the way I was eating at school was not that healthy. And I did. Um, And at the end of the summer, the weight had come off. And what I'm about to say next sounds so obvious, that's ridiculous, but I had this aha moment. I'm like, wow, what you eat impacts your weight. It had just never dawned upon me because my weight was never really an issue growing up. And we always just ate what was prepared for us. So I started to think about my career. And I was like, you know what? I have a talent of cooking and I love the idea of wellness. I want to combine them. So I wanted to have a healthy gourmet shop. That was going to be oh, my that's career. Such a idea. And I think that was also a byproduct of my parents being divorced and my mom worked full time. And I always was jealous of my girlfriends who would come home from school and their moms would be there. I didn't have that. My mom would get home around six or seven. So I really wanted a career where I thought I could sort of leave by three and then take Johnny to soccer and Jane to ballet. And I said, this is all in my head. You know, I'm creating these scenarios. So I grew up watching a show called The Facts of Life. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Garrett had this healthy gourmet shop and she still like managed the girls in school. So I was like, oh, that's what I'm going to do. So that was my career of, of choice in, in my mind. That's what I designed for myself. And I'm at University of Michigan. I'm thinking... I need continuing education in this because I was an English major undergrad. So I was like, I need to support this career path with more with more knowledge. So there was the Culinary Institute of America, which was a good path. And then NYU had a program called Food and Nutrition Studies. So as I'm looking between the two programs, I'm thinking, well, I'm in Ann Arbor for four years. I sort of like want to be back in like an urban setting. So the Culinary Institute was upstate New York. And I was like, eh, that's sleepy. I'm going to go to NYU. It's in the heart of the city. That'll be cool. I'll live downtown. So I do the NYU program and I get there on the first day and I get handed a list of my prerequisites and they were anatomy, physiology, inorganic chem, organic chem, and biochem. I'm literally handing it back to the lady. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm here for the courses on apples. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what this list of prereqs is, but I'm not pre-med. I did not research the degree. The master's in food nutrition studies was a clinical degree, and you're tracking with pre-med students. 
all of the prerequisites were the exact same of anyone that was pre-med. And I was so over my skis. I had never taken a science course in my life. But I didn't want my parents to know that I didn't do my research. And they paid my tuition already. So I'm like, I have to sort of, you know, finish this. So I just put my head down. I'm like, I'll just get through this. And unbeknownst to me, I actually loved the science. So When did you tell your parents? I never told them. (laughs) They couldn't know that I didn't do my research for a master's degree. What kind of moron did they raise? So I was like, no, I just, you know, they just didn't know. I was like, okay, I'm here. I just got to grind this out. Um, But as I said, unbeknownst to me, I did well in the sciences and I thrived and I ended up um, landing the top residency coming out of New York University. I went to New York University Hospital, and my my resident there, my residency there included rotations in oncology, renal, cardiovascular rotations. Um, you're in the ICU. You work as part of the. You work as an extension of the medical team, and the diet you prescribe. Um, basically enhances the medical treatment they're already receiving with the hopes of reversing a clinical condition, managing a clinical condition, minimizing symptoms, getting a patient off of medication. The fact that now I'm recognized as a weight loss guru, once again, another happy accident. So first I thought I was going to be a healthy chef. Next I know I'm this clinical dietitian. I leave NYU and I put a shingle out. I'm going to open up a clinical private practice. Weight loss was so beneath my skill set. So I thought I had the ability to reverse clinical conditions through dietary intervention. So I'm thinking, I don't want to work in the hospital because I love working with people one-on-one. In the hospital, once I get discharged, you never see them again. I wanted to build relationships that could be long-term because I saw nutrition as a long-term solution. It can't be something you do short-term. So I was thinking, what patient populations can I impact through dietary intervention? Um, in an outpatient setting. So I focus on on cardiology and endocrinology, knowing that nutrition can help to manage diabetes and cardiovascular disease. To make a long story short, I started to prescribe high-fiber diets for both these distinct patient populations, and everyone started to get healthy. All these diabetic patients saw better blood sugar control. I was reversing type 2 diabetes, managing type 1. Um, For cardiovascular disease, they were seeing improvements in their lipid profiles, They were getting off of their statin drugs, but something occurred that I had not expected. While all these patients were getting healthier, they were all losing weight. It was a very unexpected but much welcome byproduct. But even I was scratching my head saying, why is everyone losing weight? Because I had not set out to produce weight loss. And when I looked at these two very distinct diets, I realized all the fiber I was prescribing for the health benefits was keeping people feeling so full. They were naturally eating less throughout the day. They were doing less overeating at meals. And weight loss was occurring without the typical feelings of deprivation, denial, and hunger associated with both low-calorie diets. And that really was the birth of F-Factor, where these clinical patients were walking billboards for my services. I joke that if I was a chiropractor and I fixed your back and you walk into a party, no one's going to be like, wow, your back looks amazing. (laughs) But if you've lost 20 pounds in the past few months and you walk into a party, someone's going to be like, hey, what's going on? You're like, oh, well, my cardiologist made me go to this dietitian to lower my cholesterol, but I'm also down 20 pounds. And I'm still dining out. I'm still enjoying cocktails. I'm, I'm not working out harder. Well, my phone started to ring with these referrals from their coworkers and friends and colleagues, um, family members saying, hey, you know, my cholesterol's fine or my sugar's fine. Can I get the weight loss part of, you know, what he or she did? And that was a birth of F-factor. So um, compliance wasn't hard for these patients? No, because F-factor's premise is so liberating. Um, You know, fast forward to where F-factor is today and our messaging is really disruptive and counterintuitive. 
To lose weight on F-Factor, you get to eat carbs from day one, you get to dine out from day one, you get to enjoy cocktails from day one, and we actually teach people how to work out smarter, which means you're probably working out a little bit less, but more effectively. So it was the opposite of what you think of when you, when your mind thinks about weight loss. It's like, I'm going to have to eat less, I'll probably be hungry, I'm going to have to work out really hard, I'm not going to be able to dine out with friends, I definitely have to give up alcohol. It's, it's so punitive and restrictive. And F-Factor is the opposite. It's liberating. It's effective. Um, you don't compromise your lifestyle or your social life in order to lose weight the F-Factor way. And the best part is it's sustainable. So there's just, there's so much information in this space, right? Um, I think about my 12-year-old, he's a wrestler, and he, they have weights, right? He wrestles in the 95 weight. And, um, you know, I, I want him and his friends to have a healthy look at food because wrestling, you know, traditionally, like, people are not healthy about, you know, they cut weight and they're really um, awful to their bodies. And as a 12-year-old, I don't want him growing into that. Um, so we have conversations. And I don't know who he hears things from, but, like, he, his instinct, and we don't talk about this at home, is, like, I won't be able to eat the hibachi dinner because I need to make weight. I'm like, why do you say that? Like, can't you just stop eating the peanut butter cups and just have a normal dinner, yeah. right? So, like, how how do these, like, this misinformation, has it seep into even a 12-year-old's brain when, like, we eat healthy at home? It's social media. I mean, it's—I I have young children, too, and they spend their life on YouTube following bloggers, and they're on Instagram. And this information is just so prevalent, and it's because people care. People want to look and feel their best. And we're desperate for solutions. And that's why our ears are so open to any bits of advice that we think are going to be effective. I mean, that's that's just the answer. Um, and as I said, you know, my concern is that a lot of the advice out there is not good advice. And that's one of the reasons I take so much pride in really educating first. And I tell every single person who follows me on Instagram, be your own healthcare advocate. Mm -hmm. Even though I'm credentialed, I have, I'm a registered dietitian, I have a master's degree, even challenge what I'm saying. Dig deeper. Speak to your doctors. Do not take anything at face value because nutrition is a very young science. Things are constantly changing. And ultimately, as I said, you never know who you're listening to and is the information they're sharing credible. Ultimately, um, I believe the information I share is very credible. <laughs> so feel free to listen to me because like I said earlier, I do substantiate everything with science. That is my passion, as I said, through education comes empowerment. And I want to empower each person that I come into contact with to make decisions at every meal or at every eating, you know, opportunity to make decisions that honor their intentions to look and feel their best. And I also recognize that you need mindful indulgences and there's no such thing as a bad food. There are foods that put more weight on you than others, but all foods can fit into a well-balanced diet. I think that's another reason why F-Factor has been embraced because with F-Factor's three-bite rule, it means you could have three bites of anything. It's not going to compromise your success. Or if you do choose to have a mindful indulgence, like you want more than three bites, just isolate it to that one experience. Don't feel guilty about it. Be mindful about it, meaning it's a choice. And there's no shame in that because weight management is not a sprint. It's a marathon. You're going to be eating this way the rest of your life. One meal is not going to undermine your success in life. Um, it just comes down to the frequency and quantity of these mindful indulgences. But I think F-Factor's premise is just so liberating because it's it, it really encourages food freedom where you're learning how to eat. It's like you, it, you become like the pilot, like you're in the driver's seat. You know where you're going and you know how to get there because of what you've learned. You're not just flying blindly. And I feel like that's why most diets fail people. They don't understand why it's working. They're just 
eating that way. I just went back to my notes to see if F stands for also freedom. Yes, it does. A, it, yeah, it's, it's a Freedom good and free time. Mm-hmm. Because I know so many people doing five to six days of cardio, and it's not helping anyone to get thin. We have more gym, gyms in this country than any nation in the world, and we remain the fattest nation in the world. That's a big part of our messaging um, that I want everyone to work out. I do not have an anti-exercise platform. I'm all for exercising, but exercise for every reason other than weight loss. Exercise because it releases endorphins. It's nice to sweat. What I do want your listeners to do, though, is to eat the F-factor way, and we'll talk about why it's effective, and pair it with two to three days of a weight-resistant activity. That is essential because the more muscle you have, the faster your metabolism. It's also important for bone density, but it's also where you store carbs. Beginning at age 30, women lose half a pound of muscle per year, and men lose a pound. Losing muscle mass not only slows down metabolism, but it minimizes your ability to eat carbs without gaining weight. If you have storage capacity for carbs, they're just stored as fuel. If you have minimized storage capacity, carbohydrates will be converted as into fat and stored as fat. And that's why even fat-free carbs like quinoa or watermelon can be converted into fat. If you have storage capacity for it, it's just stored as fuel, and that's what we call glucose. So you see the education? I see you nodding. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this is really cool. Yeah, it makes so much sense. So when things make sense, don't you feel empowered now? It's like, and then when you understand that fiber negates the amount of carbohydrate that gets stored, meaning if you eat a piece of white bread that's 15 grams of carbs and it goes straight into your bloodstream and stored as 15 grams of carbs in your tank. If you have whole wheat bread, subtract five grams of fiber from the 15 grams of carbs because fiber is the indigestible part of the carb, the net is now 10, right? 15 minus five. So now only 10 grams of glucose are going to be stored. So the more fiber in a carb, the fewer net carbs. That's the whole idea about net carbs. Net carbs are what gets converted into glucose and stored. The more fiber in a carbohydrate, the less of an impact it has on your glycogen stores, which means the the more carbs you can eat without being concerned with weight gain. It is the coolest thing ever. Um, it's a little hard to explain in two minutes, you know, over <laughs> a podcast, but all this information's in the book. And that is, I think, why people are so obsessed with F-Factor. And that's where the hashtag smart girls eat fiber, smart guys eat fiber. It's not hot girls or hot guys eat fiber. And of course, you're going to get hot when you eat this way. But the point is, we have a really educated customer base, and that's why it becomes so sticky. People say F-Factor is a lifestyle. It is not a diet. Because once you understand why F-Factor works, you can't unsee that. And therefore, eating any other way becomes illogical. It's like if you... We're told growing up one plus one equals three. So you just bought into that. And then one day someone shows you, like, that doesn't make sense. One plus one's two. And they actually showed you by showing you two individual items and bringing them together. It's like, that's two. You're like, oh my gosh. So I think F Factor also helps to dispel a lot of myths by using science to prove those points. I don't have to scream my message and stamp my, you know, stomp my feet and, you know, throw my arms in the air to get heard. I could speak really soundly, not softly, but <laughs> directly. Because the message is so sound. And if I deliver this really sound scientific message and it resonates with you on a cognitive level, that's where the buy-in will happen. So you um, are so compelling. Thank um, you. And I told you this over the phone when we had our intake call. Um, but you did give me permission, because I'm super impressed with you, but you did give me permission to ask about all the failures and mistakes. Oh, my gosh. And, where do we begin? Okay, well, we listed hiring mistakes. Um, <laughs> um Almost filing for bankruptcy. Yep. Someone's stealing from you. Yep. Okay, so which one do you want to start with? I don't know. They're all so good. <laughs> um, you know, and I'm really happy to always share my failures. Um, I was on the phone with a woman yesterday who asked me to join her advisory board. She has a product that she's launching. And I said, 
you know, I'm really happy to spend time with you offline because I really lacked mentors that were women, entrepreneurs, um, moms. I, I felt really alone building my business. And because I was sort of alone in a lot of the big decision-making, I made a lot of mistakes because as a registered dietitian, I did not have an MBA. I did not have a lot of business experience. So I really was learning along the way and making a lot of mistakes. And I do believe I could have gotten to success sooner. You mentioned um, before we hopped in the booth that you've been working with a business coach and the great impact that's had for you. And I think I could have benefited from a business coach or a mentor. So what I always say to other young women is if I can share the mistakes I made so you can avoid them and get to success sooner. Um, that's That to me is a privilege to be able to pay that forward. On the other hand, if I could share with you some of the good steps I made that helped me to get to success, I'm happy to share those too. You know, I'm such a girl's girl, and I think that women really need to support each other, especially in the business world. And it is very unique to be a female business owner, um, hopefully less and less so. Um, but I just always felt like, you know, being a mom on the Upper East Side, mo- many of my friends didn't work at all. And I'm not saying staying at, being a stay-at-home mom doesn't isn't work. It's tremendous work. But they weren't going to an office. They were homemakers. Um, and then the friends, the other friends I had that were working, work for other companies. And of course, that's true work as well. But when you are a business owner, it's a unique responsibility and burden. Burden. I think a lot of people think, oh, it's so cool. You work for yourself. You make your own hours. You come and go as you please. I'm like, do you understand the stress and the anxiety I have every week to make payroll? to pay my rent. It's it's not just your livelihood you're concerned about. It's your companies. You have people that are waiting for a paycheck every week. And as an entrepreneur, um, you know, you often don't take a paycheck unless everyone else is paid. So it's, I always say it takes an iron stomach to be a female entrepreneur. I mean, for anyone to be an entrepreneur, but when you're certainly juggling that and, and a family, it, it was a lot. But Mistakes. Let me get Well, to um, I just want to say, number one, yeah. I don't actually really believe in failures or mistakes. I think the universe is giving you an opportunity 100%, to learn. 100%, by the way. Number I two, I have one business coach and then two other business coaches and 13 years of therapy. Yeah. So it, <laughs> it, all, right? it all works. And lots of couches of friends yeah. to sit on and talk to. Okay, so um, how about learning opportunities? We'll reposition yeah. failures as learning opportunities. And, I'm, and I think that's a really elegant, important way to position it because I know from every mistake— I'm now smarter, and if I've actually learned from them, and I hope I have, I won't repeat them. And better to repeat these, better to make these mistakes early in your career than later on when you have a bigger brand or more employees. So, um, learning opportunities. Number one, um, I was not really great at hiring. I many people know um, my personal life, and I I got divorced. Um, I guess seven years ago. So I was really unhappily married, and. As a byproduct of that, I found myself spending a lot of time in the office. But it felt like a very righteous way, a righteous excuse not to be home. Like, honey, are you coming home for dinner? Because I didn't want to really spend that much time with him. And I was like, no, I'm working late. So it wasn't like I was out with, like, the girls or shopping. It's like I was working. So because I spent so much time in my office, the people that I work with really were like my family. And therefore, when I would hire people, I would think, do I want to spend time with them? Not, are they qualified? <laughs> you know, do I like them? Do I want to go for coffee with them or grab a cocktail with them? Um, you know, if, if I fell in love with you during the interview, I wouldn't necessarily call your references. Like, it was just really silly, not smart business decisions when it came to hiring. I also, it sounds like you had um, 
you had this emotional void in this relationship. So you might have been just trying to fill that bucket of like people I like being around. I'm sure. And I just think it was an energy I wanted to create in the office. I wanted um, my office, you know, I started small. It's like it was my own company. So every single person to me was a piece of my business family. It was like, you know, you have two families. You have your work family and your home family. Um, So I found myself hiring people that weren't necessarily the most qualified. And then I had this rationale um, which is not smart, and I'll explain why. And I, the, what I'm about to say still makes sense, but you're not going to grow as quickly as you could otherwise. I would say skills can be learned, but character cannot. So character was everything to me. If you were kind and you were honest and a good person, that's me. I was like, I want to work with you. Okay, so you're not that qualified, but I'll teach you. Now, that can work, but when you are paying people on the clock to be learning— you're not accelerating your growth. You want to hire people that have skill sets that you don't have. And that's what's going to accelerate your growth. If you're teaching them everything you know, it's like, it's just more a little used. So you're more just delegating stuff that you don't want to do, but they're not going to do it in a way that's better than what you know. And I'll be honest, I know what I know, which is fiber and nutrition and wellness. I am not the best at operations. So that really was an important lesson for me. So when it comes to hiring, my recommendation would be hire people that have skill sets that you don't, that can bring something to the party. They're going to enhance growth because they have experience in areas that you lack. It's So my COO now, and I I always give him a, the credit of our recent tremendous hockey stick growth because he and I are like the most opposite people in the world. You know, I am emotional. I am creative. And he is you know, operations. He's pragmatic. He's a linear thinker. He looks at the numbers. I'm like, yeah, numbers, numbers. You know, it's like I'm all about the customer experience. Do people like it? And he's like, profit margins. I'm like, but do they like it? <laughs> so it's, I think that really has been important. So that's number one, you know, and hopefully you can find people who have skill sets that are different than yours that you also like and have good character, of course. But I was sort of a little bit myopic in that. Um, number two, um, I did hire a COO at one point. Um, I don't think his skill sets were as different from mine as I would have hoped, but I also gave him power of attorney, and he— Can you define what that means? So he had the right to sign checks in my absence, and that allowed him to embezzle money from me. (gasps) I know. How long was this going on for? Like a year, but I was always short for rent, and, like, there was just very little money in the company— and I couldn't understand it because I was not taking a salary. And one time the building called me, my landlord, and he says, I'm going to turn off your phones if you don't pay your rent. I was like two months behind in rent. And I'm not a girl who was raised to have debt. You know, I never spent more on a credit card that I could not pay in full. Like, I just don't carry debt. I wasn't raised that way. My parents were not those. That, I mean, everyone's different. But And I'm not saying what's right or wrong. But in our family, like, you only spend what you can afford to spend. The fact that I was working like a dog making sick... I would say high six figures, even seven figures at the time. And I just never, the money wasn't there. And I get this call from the landlord because I, we were late on the rent. And he's like, I'm going to turn your phones off. If my phones are off, like I'm in a customer service business. The business is closed. I ran to my father's office who lives in New York City. And I was like crying hysterically. I was like, and I was fortunate to have this, um, you know, th- this a father that could help me in these times. But I said, dad, I need a check for whatever the number is. And it's not the first time he had to write the check. And he pulls out the checkbook. He's like, this is the last time I'm writing you a check. And he looked at me. He's like, where is your money going? And he's handing me the check across the desk. And he goes, it's honestly like pouring water into sand. 
which is like a really incredible metaphor. Think about it. You know, you pour water into sand, like, where's the water go? Just gone. And it took a while to figure out that my CEO was embezzling from me. And what I will tell each and every person, you know, who has their own business, you have to sign your own checks. You could have a COO, you know, put together all the bills and put them in front of you, but put it under your nose. You have to be in control of your money. And I think because I don't care about money, which is also funny because my dad jokes. He's like, for someone that likes to spend the way that you do, I would think you would care more. But I've always been just so focused on the brand and the message and wanting my customers to be successful and happy. And I always felt like when you're that passionate, the money follows, which is always the case. And I to like look at balance sheets, I was like, I don't want to deal with that in bills. It's like, I want to be helping people. Um, but you need to be in control of that. And so I'd say that was a learning um, yeah, opportunity that, that for me. That one hurts. That was a hard one, a very, very hard one. And um, were you able to get the money back? No, no. Um, but you know, a painful and expensive learning experience, yeah, and that's you know, not a mistake you'll make again. No, and someone right. said to me like, "How would you do that?" Like almost as someone else, it was like such a, and they weren't being condescending. It was if someone really cared about me. It's like Tanya, you know, you're a smart girl, and I'm just like, I know, I don't. It was just right, but in running a business, there's so many things that like I do that I know nothing about, business insurance right? Like liability insurance, this information insurance, like these are not things that I have skills in and I would really need, I need to trust some people, right? I have to trust, right? Setting up retirement plans, I have to trust the people who know how to do this, right? So you, as much as you can be invested in these decisions, like there's some things that you actually just need other people to do. It's true. But the way the person presented it to me was that it was actually irresponsible to my company, to the people that work for me to be so blind to it, like, and not wanting to deal with it, almost immature, like, eh, I don't like the numbers. I don't feel like dealing with that. I'm just going to delegate that to someone. So, of course, with things such as insurance, I mean, I'm fortunate that I have people that can look at different insurance plans, but they need to present it to me. I need to, as the CEO of your own company, you need to make the big decisions. And what I now have is a team and they present to me what they call their recommendations. So they will research the top insurance companies will show me, you know, all the breakouts, like this is the cost, and then I am the one who makes the final decision. So I've, it's 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 evolved, um, but that was um, a big eye-opener for me. And as I said, there have been so many, uh, I mean, I've been in business for 20 years. So I think my learning opportunities exceed the things that, you know, I've done correctly. But as you said, everything gets you to where you are today. And I'm wiser for it. And I'm also more appreciative of the success because it did not come easily. It, I, I wonder if it ever does. You know, I, I think that was my biggest hang up for so many years. It's like, it's so easy for everybody else, right? I don't think it's easy for anybody. You know, um, I used to have this thing in my head. Well, um, you know, life is easy for Jane Lauder, right? Because she was like born into this business. But no, like she has other baggage, right? From, you know, where she came from and her family and other things to prove. So, um, I, I've really been able over time to release this idea that it's ever easy. It's not. It gets easier. It gets more fun the more you know. But I don't know that it's ever easy. I think that's right. Um, it, work, you know, that's there's a saying, it's called work and not play for a reason. I mean, work is work. I do think, though, some people do get to success more quickly, um, maybe because they are more prepared for business. Um, and a lot of entrepreneurs were just passionate. 
you see this a lot, you know, you watch Shark Tank. <laughs> we love Shark Tank. It's so a family we, show. It's a family show. We're obsessed. And you could see sometimes like that there are some people that when they are challenged, they really know their information. You know, they understand exit. They understand margins. They, I mean, they just have a hold of all those important aspects of business. And other people are just really passionate. They don't know really how to connect the dots. They know where they are today. They know where they want to be, but they don't, you know, so it's like, I'm at A, I want to get to Z, but I'm uncertain about, you know, B through Y. I feel that people who are more successful more quickly understand the B through Ys, but it does possibly need more financing or they need greater resources, but they sort of understand how to create the path. And I think for me, I didn't really know how to create the path. I just kept taking one step and taking another step. And sometimes I would take 10 steps in one direction, hit a brick wall. So I'd have to pivot. Then I hit another brick wall. I mean, I was constantly banging into walls, you know. And every now and then I'd be able to take 50 steps forward. I'm like, okay, that was sort of good. You know, I haven't, you know, had that kind of progress in a while. So I think that, um, as I said, my learning curve was like sort of just like really like long and flat for a while. And it wasn't until... I got to a certain point of success that I was really able to bring on people that were the right fit for my organization and way smarter than me in certain, you know, topics or certain aspects of the business. I I do, you know, look at my peer group and see, sure, these people, like, they knew how to seek out investment. They had a plan. They wanted eggs in five years. They made that happen, whatever. So good for them. I'm happy for them. (laughs) But um, what I've learned over time is that I've been able to leverage work as my greatest resource for learning about myself. So thankfully, I have a really peaceful home life. Work is chaotic, right? Like navigating this industry is chaotic. I didn't know a lot of stuff. I didn't know anything, really. So I, I look at every day as the, the I work on myself the most, right? And that comes through work, like the office. But it's like my chance to evolve as a human. And that's what I see... Um, my business is as like a, a conduit to learning about me. Um, and that's where I spend the most time is working on me, growing me, my like understanding my obstacles, my hangups, my fears, and trying to um, find a pathway to the most joyful, serene version of myself. So that's how I um, started to look at it and not have to re- resent that I didn't do X, Y, or Z. I believe that our own personal journeys are the purpose of our lives. And it's about defining what you value. I always say every decision you make is based on a value proposition. Whether you work hard or not, whether you write thank you notes or not, whether you return emails in 24 hours, whether you eat healthy, whether you exercise, whether you call your mom, everything you do every single day is based on an outcome. And do you value it? If you don't value it, you don't do it. If you don't care about being perceived as having good manners, you don't write thank you notes. (laughs) Or if you don't think that there's a value in that, you wouldn't do it. If you see a value in that, you unfortunately sit down and you have to knock those things out. Same with eating healthfully. If if you don't care about being healthy, then of course you're going to eat burger and fries. That's much tastier than a salad. (laughs) Who are we kidding? But if you value the way you look and the way you feel, you're going to act in a certain way. And sometimes those actions um, come with some compromises. But if you value the outcome enough, you'll make those sacrifices. But there's a difference between sacrifice and suffering. If you're suffering, that's when you need to pivot. That's when that's not working um, for you. And what I will say is for me, my I, I am very clear on what my personal and professional goals are in life. 
my professional goal is to leave the world a better place, is to touch as many lives as possible with F-Factor, to empower people, to educate them so they can look and feel their best without compromising their lifestyle. The weight loss space has been filled with so many punitive and restrictive solutions that have failed people, and people are frustrated, and they're overweight, and they're unhealthy, and they're confused. And I see people doing cleanses or doing extreme dieting methods. I'm like, guys, it does not have to be this hard. It really doesn't. So for me, my pers- my professional goals are crystal clear. I want to spread the F-factor you know, word. I want people to use it, benefit from it. I want them to change their lives without compromising their lifestyles. Nothing makes me happier than helping people. That is as clear as day, and I feel so grateful. I thank God every day that I found a career path that I'm so passionate about that allows me to touch so many lives. And I know this is my professional calling, and that's what gets me up every morning to do what I do. On a personal level... I'm constantly, constantly challenging myself to be a better person. It's in my, it's, 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 it's like, it, that is the most important part of my life is to constantly be growing to, I feel that every day is an opportunity to be better today than I was the day before. Some days I'm exceptional. Some days I suck. Some days I'm average, but I know that what I'm working towards. And I think that I, I, I take pride in, in having high standards and to recognize on days that I'm not meeting those standards, it's like, okay, you know, there's always tomorrow. Get up, dust yourself off, keep moving towards your plan A. Um, but character integrity is so important to me um, to the point that sometimes I'm a little bit righteous. <laughs> I always say it's like my right. It's like not your right, but it's my right. Um, meaning like I live my life a certain way. I try to. And I do want to be a decent human being. Um, God plays a really important part of my life. My relationship with God, which was found much later in life. I did not grow up with a strong faith. I grew up with tradition. I'm Jewish. So it's like I grew up celebrating the holidays, but not really speaking to God. It happened when I was going through my divorce and my business was underwater and I was in the darkest times of my life, like so dark that I didn't want to live anymore. It's all I thought about was not living, um, which is horrifying to me because I had three kids, but they are what rooted me here because I could never do that. I could never allow that to be their legacy, but that's how dark my life was. And I would cry in the morning. I'd cry in the shower. I'd cry at the office. It was just, I was so scared. You know, my marriage was coming undone. And as I said, business, I've, I'd worked for 10 years. And despite making, you know, seven figures a year, there was no money in the bank because as, you know, people embezzled and I was self-funding all my initiatives and nothing was taking off. So everything was just like at a loss. And in my darkest hour, I turned to God. You know, I found a book, Joel Osteen's book, Seven Steps to Your Best Life Now. And even though I'm Jewish and he's Christian, the message about how to get through trials and tribulations, and it was God just testing me and testing my faith. Um, Having God in my life, I feel that God watches everything that I do, everything. I also, and therefore, like, if I'm in a store and, like, I'm looking at a shirt and it falls off the hanger— and then I put it on the hanger and it falls off again. After the third try, you're like, I'm done. <laughs> not my problem. They need better hangers. I can't leave it there because I'm like, God sees that. And God does not bless mediocrity. God wants us to be the best we can be. And that has become F Factor's, I think, most famous quote. Don't settle for mediocrity where greatness can exist. And, you know, what does greatness mean? Well, that's up to you to define. It's not based on my definition because we all have different standards and different values. What I may define as important, like writing thank you notes, you may define as not important. So it's up for each and every one of you, meaning the listeners here today, to define what excellence and integrity means to them, to define what living their best life looks like, sounds like. I always say you're the architect of your life. You can design the home you want to live in. And 
Think about architects. They have all different kind of clients. Maybe one client wants a ranch. Maybe one wants a townhouse. Maybe one wants a coconut hut on, on a desert island, you know, deserted island. Meaning that there's no right or wrong home if that's your values, right? If, if you're happy with your coconut hut, that's awesome. I know people live in townhouses and they're miserable. So it's really based on what's the life you want to lead? And we say, as an architect, first you need to create a blueprint, right? They don't just start building. So I always have my clients write down their goals. And not just a goal like, I want to do this, but like, what does your life look like? Do you want marriage? Do you want children? Do you want a career? Do you want philanthropy? Do you want travel? Do you want hobbies? Like, design this life. And then once you do, insert yourself in it. What do you look like in that life? What's your character like? What's your health like? What's your, what's, what's your physical appearance like? Are you living your best self? Right? Because picture it like you have this great career success, but you're 200 pounds overweight. Or you have a great family, but perhaps you never did the career that you wanted, you know? So I want you to be thoughtful about the life that you want to lead and recognize time is finite. You know, it, it's at some point, it's, it, you know, there's only so many years we, we, get, we get to be here. So be purposeful and be thoughtful and take action and design the life you want to lead. Thank you for that message. That's beautiful. Um, and we're going to close with that. So um, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today, Tanya. It's so incredible to talk with you. I could talk to you all day long. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.